What is up, team? Welcome back to the show. Today, I am joined by Lauren Conlon. Lauren, thank you so much for being here. Thank you. I appreciate it so much. Of course. So for the listeners who might not know, can you just give us a quick background on who you are and what you're up to? Yeah. So my name is Lauren Conlon. I'm the owner of Team LocoFit. We're an online coaching and consulting business. It's myself and a team of three amazing coaches. Um, I have my master's in exercise science. I did my research, which actually just got published last week um, in how different types of, thank you, different types of dieting affect weight loss and weight regain. So I made a big emphasis um, and shifted my coaching after that. Um, I'm an IFBB bikini pro, I've competed for about eight years, um, semi-retired now, that's what I like to say. And uh, I just, you know, we have a podcast in Local Fit Roundtable, and then I try and, you know, travel and speak as much as I can, which is thankfully picking back up this year. So yeah, that's a little bit about me. I love it. And I love the fact that the research just got published this last week, because that is very much also in alignment with what I wanted to talk to you about today. But again, I want to say first, thank you again for being here and everything you've done. You're someone, there's some people where it's kind of surreal to have them on the show because I've just learned from them for so long. You're definitely one of those people. So thank you for everything that you've done over the last years. It's been super helpful for me. Um, but I wanted to really make this a discussion around fat loss specifically for women. And I wanted to start this off asking the question, you'll often hear people say it's harder for women to lose weight than men. Um, like you'll hear the example of like my husband and I started following the same diet. He lost 20 pounds. All he has, to, whereas like I gain weight if I just look at carbs, right? And it's like, is there any truth to this idea that it could potentially be harder for women to lose weight than men? So I would say there's a few factors there, which are a little bit nuanced, but let, like with the straightforward things, typically women are going to be smaller than men. Not always, but typically. So when you have somebody who is smaller in physical size, um, it's going to be, they have less weight to lose and it's slower to lose weight. Somebody who's 250 pounds versus 150, it's obviously a different starting place. And typically, again, not always, but traditionally, um, women have more body fat than males do. Um, especially if you're somebody who is in the situation who's looking to lose body fat, right? So women are going to hold more body fat than men. Um, our hormones just in general are a lot more complex than men. Um, so there are a lot of lot different systems to regulate. Um, so I would say that just face value, could it be harder for women to lose weight or in particular body fat? Yes, it could be because of those factors. Now, generally the reason why I see that it's harder for women to lose weight is because they have a much longer dieting history. So typically when we're thinking of, you know, that kind of an example, somebody saying that they may be at that point of dried 5, 10, 20 you know, different diets, right. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> or different cycles of diet and maybe not different diets, but they've right. gone through like a weight cycling weight, like yo-yo dieting approach. Um, and typically that's what we're up against when, um, we have clients coming to us who maybe have had this long history of dieting. Nothing's working for me. Well, okay. What are all the other things going on? Right. Have you just been yo-yo dieting for the past X amount of years? Is your metabolism downregulated? Are your hormones dysregulated? Cause some could be up, some could be down. Um, do you have any muscle mass, you know, like what does your physical activity look like? Do you have an emotional relationship with food? But there's a lot of other things. The males that I coach, um, you know, it's, it's various, it's a generally a very straightforward process, right? Hey, here's what we're going to do. All right. I find that men have a 
lower buy-in process. It takes them longer to buy into something, but when they're bought in, they're on it. I could be like, hey, uh, we're doing this crazy shit. You're starting tomorrow. You're like, okay. Whereas women will generally be like, but that would take you a long time to get to that period. Whereas a lot of women are like quick to say yes to wanting to do something, but then they might not be as adherent in the long term. Again, these are all generalizations. Um, I've worked with all different types of men and women clients, you know what I mean? But um, I would say that generally speaking, there's going to be a few factors here that will influence um, women and weight loss, particularly fat loss. And honestly, a lot of women, unless they have gone out of their way to weight train, they do not have enough muscle mass, which is one of the biggest issues, not only just from a metabolic perspective, um, but we see that with the chronic yo-yo dieting. Every time you diet, you're going to lose body fat and you're going to lose muscle mass. And unless you're actively trying to put that muscle mass back on, if you're just putting back fat tissue every time that you rebound from that diet, now you have less muscle and more fat. And guess why it's going to be a lot harder every time for you to lose body fat. That's just one of the reasons. Um, of course, there's other metabolic processes as well. But generally speaking, I would say there is some truth to that. But as always, it's very contextual um, and very nuanced. I love it. And I love the way you frame that. Basically, it sounds like it is a slightly more complex process. Um, and not necessarily that it's we need to look at it as like, okay, because you're a woman, like this is always gonna be super hard. Like, I think that would probably be a pretty disempowering thing for a lot of people to hear. But on the flip side, it's, and and of course, that's not at all what you're saying. But there is like, we need to take a smarter approach to this than like, yeah, women are, this is another terrible saying. But like, you hear people say like, women are basically just like little men, right? Which is like, not at all true. I, I don't know if that's actually just like people use that as an example of a bad stereotypical saying, but yeah, you could... I don't, I've like, honestly, I've only ever heard people use that in that context. Um, not, <laughs> not in like the actual context. Like I've never met like somebody who's like women are just small men. Like nobody. So that's a terrible that. example. Yeah. I'm like, I think somebody just made that up. They were like the original, somebody asked me about, um, that was like their, that was the original person who came up with that. Um, and Certainly. Could there have been people who maybe used to say that? Yeah. But in current times um, and just even in the past, I mean, my lifetime, almost 30 years, I I really haven't heard people using those phrases. Um, Women and men are definitely treated distinctively in in dieting. Um, And I think that one of the biggest, you know, um, issues is, like I talked about, the muscle mass. Mm -hmm. Unless a woman is going out of her way to weight train just because naturally we hold a little bit more body fat. And unless you came from a super athletic background, um, it's, you know, if what I've seen the biggest shift in, in my years, um, is just cardio, 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 cardio to lifting. Um, now are there still people who do just cardio? Of course, you know what I mean? But I would say that even when I was in my undergrad to grad school in just a few years time, it was remarkable that literally, and I'm like, I say this on so many podcasts and it's like, it's so funny, but like, I was literally told like, here is the girls section. This was 2010 at Florida state university, a big ass school, with a big ass gym. And I had just come from, I had been, I ran track and cross country. I was lifting weights and I trained at like a super meathead gym for like growing up. Right. I thought that was the norm, which certainly not, but that was the norm and i get there like oh here's the girl section and i was like 
And it was like a fucking BOSU ball and like one cable and like 35 pound weight, like up to 35 pound weights. And I was like, okay, I'm just going to go train like with, like with everybody else. Right. And then even when I left the school campus gym and went to the meathead gym down the street, like, you know, a year later or whatever, it was like me and like three chicks consistently Mm -hmm. lifted like in the whole Gold's gym. And that was what I always like, I always joke about when Dr. Campbell called me when I got into the program for my master's and he was like, yeah, I want to do female physique enhancement research. And I was like, okay, like, sounds good, dude. Like, you're crazy. <laughs> like, there's nobody lifting weights here. Like, I was like, okay, yeah, that's, I mean, that sounds rad, but like, I don't, like, I don't see that happening, but okay. And then lo and behold, I mean, it still took time, you know, but now, I mean, pretty much most of the research that's coming out of his lab is all female physique research, which is pretty cool. But um, there has been a huge shift from girls section, just cardio to understanding the importance of lifting weights. And lifting weights is not just for getting jacked. Um, Eating protein is not just for getting jacked, right? Like I think that that is still a misunderstanding, right? Um, Even now when I talk to people, they're like, what should I change the most protein? And like, my like non-lifting friends like at my gym like they all just make fun of like oh Lauren's gonna say eat more protein I'm like no really like you don't eat enough protein like (laughs) you don't drink water you don't eat enough protein like go do those things and then you're gonna feel a lot better you know what I mean and it sounds so simple but people well I'm not trying to get really big you're not (laughs) don't worry I've been trying for years. It doesn't happen um, by accident. So I think that we're still in that process of shifting, but there's been a huge, like so many positive things um, in the industry just in like the past 10 years. But I'm definitely hoping that the next push is going to be like, all right, weight training's like cool. And I'm not just going to like look like a bodybuilder if I lift weights twice a week. Right. But now it's like, all right, let's really focus on protein and understanding why this muscle mass is important, not just for looks, but also for longevity and health and, you know, body composition as well. I love it. Also insightful. So, and this ties in very well, what are kind of the signs that you look for? So if a female client starts with you, what are the, and she wants to get leaner, what are the signs you look for? If any, Hey, these are kind of the prerequisites we want to see before Mm -hmm. I'm actually comfortable pushing you into a diet. Yeah. Really good question. So I would say that most of the time we're not just going to diet somebody right off the bat. Mm-hmm. There are going to be situations, you know, if I've worked with a client before, right. that would make sense. If I know their background, if they come to me and they're like, yeah, I'm eating all these calories. I'm, you know, I'm training four times a week and I'm eating 2,200 calories and everything's in check. And I'm like, oh, all right. Sounds pretty good to me. Um, the majority of people though are going to be coming to us kind of in like a gen pop setting where they're going to say, all right, um, you know, I've kind of been eating this off and on, um, maybe aware of some of this. So like weekends, not even, you know, conscious of what I'm eating, um, that, like, you know, all the normal kind of stuff. So it's like, all right, let's rein this consistency in first. We're not just going to diet without a foundation. If you don't have any habits, you don't have a foundation. It's not really going to be beneficial. So we're going to get protein up. Number one, I want to have at least, you know, close to a gram per pound of body weight. Um, of course this will change to if somebody is really, really low or if somebody is very overweight for their body, you know, understandably there's going to be ranges, but I'm trying to hit close to that gram per pound. Um, and then getting people to be consistent, whether that's tracking habits, whether that's just tracking protein, whether that's tracking all three macros, 
that is going to look different for every client um, and their situation. But we're going to work things up. We're going to be in a consistent place. We're going to be somewhere where it's like, hey, Fourth of July just happened. Go enjoy the holiday. Um, you know, be mindful of your choices. But then, you know, back on it the next day, somebody's coming to me and they're like, yeah, I didn't eat for like two days because I knew I was going to blow it out on Fourth of July. I had, you know, 15 hamburgers, couldn't stop eating. The next day, did cardio. You're like, whoa, like those are, you know, extreme examples. But when somebody is not able to regulate their environment around food and alcohol, we really don't want to enter a diet. So it's going to be about typically getting people to a certain threshold to start, not only from a quantitative perspective, like protein and amount of food and tracking certain things, but also where are they mentally? Because we're not really going to build up any stellar habits in a dieting phase. Now, I'm not saying that all of your habits go to shit when you're dieting, right. um, but it, things are going to get a little bit tougher. So we want to have that really solid foundation um, instead of kind of a rocky foundation before we start. Okay. Now, this kind of, I've often heard it called the diet before the diet. Just out of curiosity, do you have like a specific term? Like we call this the primer phase. Do you have like any, is there a specific, no? No, I don't have a, I don't have a cool name. The primer phase sounds awesome. I love it. Um, but no, we, and the thing is because too, it also depends on who we're working with, right? Yeah. Am I working with a top level physique competitor or somebody who's going to be, you know, in some kind of strength or, um, you know, like martial arts, some kind of sport, right? Like, are you doing something like that? Very different conversation than somebody mm -hmm. who's just starting out, um, you know, in their fitness journey or somebody, if they just had, you know, a baby and they're trying to, you know, get back on track with their habits and like, you know, taking care of themselves and having a goal. Um, you know, I have a ton of clients who are, you know, either in med school or they're doing the residencies or they're, you know, studying and doing research. Like there's all clients are going to be very different. So sometimes they, you know, for an athlete, there is going to be more of that stringent, primer phase you know diet before the diet right like we got to really dial things in right if somebody's just starting their journey and they're just looking to get healthier it's going to be a little bit more lax and that that period might just kind of blend kind of seamlessly in mm -hmm. um and there's less the less extreme the goal the less extreme that we have to be but setting that doesn't make setting the habits any less important Right. I think it just you have to have it in the context of like where somebody is at. Um, really important to understand that. I love that. Cool. So as far as rate of loss, you hear some people really push against more aggressive dieting. Um, you hear other people really like, hey, no, like maybe this is the way to go for more people than not. Do you, what's your take on that? More aggressive, less aggressive is probably an it depends answer, but I would love to hear your thoughts. So it's funny. So the science community loves to put numbers on things. Like anybody who is like scientifically minded is like rate of loss. I have a percentage and a goal. I've, I've never, and it's so funny. Like people probably think I'm like the worst scientist ever. I do not calculate things necessarily based on that. Like it's more at this, and I guess subconsciously, maybe I do. Hey, we have about this much to lose. We got about this many weeks. Okay. Um, but I've just worked with so many people that that rarely pans out to where I'd say, listen, especially if you're somebody who is a physique athlete or you are, you know, that's the most extreme example, physique athlete. Because if you're in a weight cut sport, we're really trying to minimize the weight loss and how it affects you and probably just maximize the cut at the end to like make weight. But again, it's going to depend on the athlete and their sport, but for a physique athlete, rate of loss sounds great. 
but I've worked with a lot of bodies who have a lot of other things going on in their life. So oftentimes I say like, listen, if this is our target, we're going to start earlier than we think. And if we're ready early, that's awesome. In the perfect world, we are ready weeks before the show and we can start pulling cardio back and adding carbs. Like that's the ideal, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so if we're ready early, that's awesome. Like I, no, no stress. Right. Um, but most of the time life is going to happen and things are going to happen. There's going to be a rough few weeks, um, whether it's personally or just like with your body and things are changing. Um, so I guess inadvertently, I would say, yes, there is a rate of loss, but I don't necessarily set out a diet and say, this is what I, I want for people. I would say if we're talking about a fast or a slow rate, I would always err on the slow rate because that's going to retain the most lean tissue, which we've already talked about is incredibly important. Um, and it also is going to be psychologically easier. It's never easy, but it's a little bit easier and a little more, maybe easier is the right word, manageable. It's more psychologically manageable, the slower rate. However, you do need to understand the psychology of your client. There are some people who are like, no, I would rather you bury my face in the ground for 12 weeks versus me doing something slower with whatever for 20. And not saying that that approach is, is the best way, but you have to have some kind of give and take with those clients, right? You can't, you can't dance around making changes because that client's going to be like, what the hell? I want it. I want to do something. And that stirring in their mind, like makes it almost worse. Right. So you also have to understand kind of where somebody's at. Um, and I will say the one time that I do like to be a little more aggressive, if we are doing for a physique competitor, like a mini cut, right. So say we're in a longer off season and we want to do something in the middle to kind of break it up, um, you know, maybe reset some insulin sensitivity, just have a, have a little mini goal again. And I'm typically going to keep those on the shorter end. That's not like just like a regular cut. It's like an actual mini cut. Then I would say, all right, we're going to get pretty aggressive because it generally takes time for, you know, fat loss to kick in anyway. Like you don't just start and then the next week you're like, oh, lost five pounds of body fat. Like, no. <laughs> so I would say that for that situation, I would be a little bit more aggressive. Um, and then always in general, one of the main things that I changed, um, and I find this is particularly important with people who have the high capacity in the off season. So you see a lot of clients who can eat a lot of food and not gain weight. Mm-hmm. And that seems really, really cool, right? It's really cool until you go to diet those people. They have what we call an adaptive metabolism, which is great when you're adding food not great when we're cutting and that's actually kind of where i fall into and um i don't know i have i have some kind of hypothesis that i think that that could be influenced by dieting history as well because your body like if you're always going through these periods of dieting your body like has to learn to adapt that you know there would be no way to validate that but um i do see this a lot right and it's like oh my god this person's eating so much food they're not gaining weight what is this magic i'm like oh just wait (laughs) just wait um so for me for example like i can mean you know and i don't maintain a super shredded physique by any stretch of the imagination but i maintain my weight and i can i can fluctuate very high right with calories i don't really start losing until we've like really tapped into that. Um, it's never just like, Oh, I, I didn't eat a few meals this week. So I dropped weight. Like, no, my body doesn't care. doesn't notice. Um, some people are the opposite, right? They're like, they're struggling to put on weight and then there's like, they just drop it no matter what they're doing. So it just kind of depends on the individual, but for a lot of people, especially with adaptive metabolisms, 
you're going to have to start a little more aggressive than you would think than the typical, mm -hmm. like, we're just going to drop this many calories and it's going to work. It might not, especially if somebody's really high. If you're going to, if you have a chick eating 300 grams of carbs and you're thinking that you're just going to drop them to 250 and she's going to lose weight, it's probably not going to happen. Right. Could it? Yeah. And I'm not saying go from 300 to 50, <laughs> you know what I mean? But there is going to have to be some type of we are starting this diet, um, especially the people who have, like I said, those adaptive metabolisms who can maintain higher. Um, so we're going to need to hit, you know, with a little bit more cardio than they're used to, as well as a larger drop. Um, and again, we're not bottoming somebody out the first week of their prep or any kind of cut, right. uh, but we are going to make it substantial enough and understand that the beginning, I always tell people, the beginning, there's a lot more changes. We're trying to find that like magic threshold. Mm -hmm. And then when we get there, oftentimes we can kind of stay at that same spot and keep chipping away. Right. So more or less what you're saying is the first couple of weeks, we're very much trying to find again, whether you have a more adaptive metabolism or less, so you might have to be more aggressive or less, but really then once we've kind of found that sweet spot, then it may be like every couple of months we have to make a five to 10% adjustment, but then we're kind of cruising outside of like lifestyle factors to get in the way. Yeah. I mean, and again, everybody's very different, but I've found that a lot of times it takes getting to that period mm -hmm. uh, we're getting to that amount um and then things start to come down so then it would beg the question well why don't you just start there right and sometimes for certain clients who i have you know had the opportunity to work with several times if i know like a few people come to mind all right things really start happening when we get here i probably still wouldn't start there because we are going to be able to see some changes before that period mm -hmm. um but i would say that it's always kind of in the back of my mind, like we should probably get here sooner rather than later. And once we get here, we likely will have to make less changes. Um, and then, you know, again, in a perfect scenario, if we are talking about a physique competitor, we can get this client down there um, to stage lean. And then we can, you know, a few weeks before and then add food in. Okay. Okay. I love it. It makes complete sense. So then how is the menstrual? Now this could be like an entire podcast in and of itself. So what are the main things like when we're looking at dieting specific to women like coach andrea who's the other half of our coaching team and i were just talking about like from what she's seen so far it seems like for her like the first half of her cycle she sees a lot quicker fat loss than the second half but she's only like a month into her diet so tbd but what are like the main things that when we're looking at okay how the menstrual cycle is going to come into play and impact this like what are the main things that we're going to see there does that make sense yeah. Yeah. And, and everybody handles this differently. There are some people that I know who like really focus in on this, like they change diet across the menstrual cycle. They change training across it. Um, in my opinion, that can often be very overwhelming for an unnecessary, like for a, a, a gain that is so small. Right. Mm -hmm. um, now, if the, if the client is really wants to do that, that's fine. Um, but I would say that for most people, it's just going to be about kind of taking that like detached lens and saying, all right, because of where you're at in your cycle, you're going to be feeling like X, Y, Z this week. And that's why, right? Like, it's always like, you know, you'll get the update and you can tell like somebody is like either all in their feels or right. they're like all of a sudden it's like a 180 from the week before. Um, some, and everybody's, everybody's different. Some people have really bad like physical symptoms. Some people have very bad like mental symptoms and some people, you know, like, right. Like that, Oh my God, my body image is trash this week. Everything is hard. I'm so emotional. I'm so this other people. It's like, I am literally so distended. I am so bloated. I have like a film of water over me. One of those things that you're just going to have to read each client. And some people don't really report any changes. Right. So it's not one of those like blanket things that I like to 
say in, outside of coaching each person. Um, and hopefully in an off season period, this is again, another reason why I don't love dieting people right away um, is, you know, you get to kind of see these things during a non-dieting phase, right? You get to see how they're affected um, because everything's just going to be heightened when you're dieting because you're kind of always like on that little bit of an edge. Um, right. So you're going to be able to see and say, Hey, no, like, you know, that we're like a week out from your cycle, you know, that you normally feel like this and they're like, Oh yeah, you're right. Okay. The next week it's totally fine. Right. And it's kind of like that reassurance of like, you're that detached person to be like, Hey, this is not like, you know, this is why this is happening. Um, and just being able to remind people about that. Um, but as far as like, you know, pushing and fat loss and all that, like some weeks it's like, all right, yeah, I know that your cycle might be affecting your weight this week, but like, if we really need to drop, we got to drop. And again, this is always comes back to like, who is your client? Is this a client who is getting on stage? Is this client making weight or is this client just wanting to diet? If a client is just in a lifestyle diet, there's absolutely no need to make any changes. If you're seeing like a period fluctuation, right? Like that's just not, doesn't really make any sense. If you're somebody who like, you're like, listen, we don't know if this is an actual fluctuation or how much is it going to go down and we still need to keep dropping we might need to push, right? So it's just going to depend on the situation. Um, but I would say that I'm somebody who doesn't change too many things based on that. Um, it's more so, all right, let's just manage and moderate where you are and be that person who can be that detached, um, you know, person and say, hey, maybe not, um, maybe not how you're actually feeling. It's because of this or this. And I agree. I think that objectivity from like, similarly, we don't change like the program or unless really needed like macros around it but just having someone like hey remember this week last month you felt this exact same way like it's okay this isn't there's nothing wrong with you this is just like this is a normal thing and just like that seems to be just the biggest help in that regard yes for sure and that's where knowing your client and asking the right questions you know and that's where um just in general as a coach when you are going through an update process or you have you know however you set that up you need to ask for the right feedback because if you were just to rely only on one aspect, right, you only, um, you know, looked at the scale or you only asked for qualitative feedback um, or you only asked for pictures, right? Like then you are only getting that one skewed perception, especially if you're only getting qualitative stuff, right? And the client's like, I feel terrible this week. Like I look like this, I da, da, da. And then it's like, you can see everything else and you're like, no, like here's object. We have to be objective too. And here's objectively why nothing is changing here. Right. Um, so that's why it's important to be able to ask all of those questions. Um, and also to see all the other stuff too, how it's affected. You know, I have so many people who are like, Oh, I don't know why my weight's up this week. And I'm like, you literally noted three times in the update that you didn't sleep well this week. Three times, three different times. It wasn't even a sleep area. It was a all the different areas. And that's all you could talk about. You know what I mean? So like, it's just one of those things that we can forget sometimes. Um, but asking the right questions, getting kind of the full picture will allow you as a coach to really be able to make those changes effectively. I love it. So from there, what, what metrics are, do you prefer to look at to track progress in a fat loss phase? So I would say that again, it's going to be a measure. It's going to be qualitative and qualitative, qualitative and quantitative measurements. So whether somebody is tracking macros or they're tracking habits or they're tracking both, we're going to look at some type of response to what they're doing with their diet. Um, we are going for most clients to look at their weight, um, to look at their measurements. Um, that obviously can change depending on the client and where their headspace is at. You know, some people that's not what we're doing. Um, photos typically, if it's a, if it's a, um, 
it's a competitor every week. If it's a lifestyle client, you know, every few weeks is totally fine. Um, and then we're also going to be looking at all the qualitative stuff. How is your hunger? How is your training? How is your mood? What were some wins? What were some losses? Digestion, sleep, water intake, um, you know, cycle, like, like all those types of things. Like we're going to factor all that in. And then by getting all of this feedback, we say, okay, now can make the best, like, this is what was happening this week. We either saw progress forward. Here's why we might not have seen progress. You know, being able to have that feedback is also important to say, this is why I'm making changes or this is why I'm not making changes because then you can just, you can relay that information. You shared X, Y, Z with me. This is why we're doing this. And that's really important for the client. So everybody check-in process looks different. Um, there's no perfect way, I don't think. Um, I think that it just depends on what you need to ask the right questions about. <laughs> um, and like what you, I always, I always find myself changing things when I go, wow, I had to ask that like a lot, like recently. Like I was always asking that as like a follow-up. Right. Why don't we just put it in here? You know what I mean? Because it's right. always coming up. Um, like water is a really silly one and not, you know, not every week are people giving me their perfect amounts, but the, the reason to have that was more so like if somebody was, you know, say they were always drinking a gallon of water and then, you know, out of nowhere, they start drinking half a gallon. They're like, oh, I, you know, my digestion has been all off and da, da, da. you're like, well, that kind of makes sense, you know, right. And like, so it's just being able to look at those factors or, you know, the sleep thing. I don't expect everybody to have a perfect, like, you know, uh, perf perfect sleep tracking, but like, okay, roughly like, where were you this week? Did we see, you know, were you seven to eight and then you had two nights with four, right? Like that's, you know, then we can kind of see these trends and see, and sometimes People don't even recognize stuff until they write it down. And then you're like, hey, we've seen this for like three weeks. And they're like, oh, damn, you're right. I didn't even realize that I was doing that. Right. So all just important things. Um, and yeah, there's no perfect, perfect check-in. Um, my check-ins have adapted over the years for sure. Um, oh, gosh, thankfully. Um, but <laughs> for I don't even know, I'd be like, oh, just send me an email. Like, you know, like, oh, God. <laughs> like, I couldn't even imagine now. And um how I used to do some of that stuff, but you know, you also have to go through that and learn, right? You have to have kind of a shitty check-in and then change it um, because of what you're seeing. So. Absolutely. I love it. Okay. So from there, I'm interested to hear your take on diet breaks and refeeds. Now I'm guessing I already know mostly your response here, but uh, are these something that you implement pretty frequently for women that are dieting? So I would say yes, but the context is really going to depend on the, what the client's goals are. So I'll just give a few examples because I like examples. I find that helps resonate. So I have a client right now who we, we coach a lot of diet flexibility and we're very big on that. Like I'm very big on having untracked meals. Um, and when I say something like untracked meals, it doesn't mean like, oh, you're going ham and you're eating everything every week. That's not what that means at all. Um, untracked meals is being able to have actual flexible restraint over things, be able to moderate your portions, et cetera, et cetera. So it's a really important tool. And it's something actually that we incorporate. We start incorporating in an off season period, um, but then we actually typically, or a non-dieting period. And then we typically actually keep it in for most people. Um, now, if somebody is, is competing, it's going to be typically more refeed based because we are um, obviously going to be a little bit more structured because we have a very structured and extreme goal. Um, but it doesn't mean that we don't have that for certain people, especially farther out, right? Like, hey, I'm going to go get like a poke bowl. Okay. Right. You know, make, make the choices that you would normally eat on your refeed day, but 
that's okay, right? Like it's not like it's going to be context dependent. Um, but let's say for a client like I have in mind who we've been dieting for quite some time now, um, but she's had relatively low side effects um, and we've just seen really good progress. And that was mostly because of all the work we put in before her diet. Um, but she's somebody who was like, hey, because um, we had had a, like, we'd worked in, you know, hey, we're tracking here and then we're having these full untracked days. That was like before we started dieting. And then when we started dieting, I said, all right, let's have, um, you know, these, we're going to keep that and then we're going to go into the deficit here. And she was like, I love them, but she's like, with the way that my life works, um, she's somebody who has to do a lot with like clients at work, um, just has like random things come up. So she's like, I'm going to have these targets in mind, but I'm probably going to estimate more meals than other clients might. I said, all right, well, we'll just start with it and we'll see. And then obviously we can always adjust based on how you respond. So she's somebody who um, pretty much has three to four, what we would call untracked meals because she's eating out and she's doing these different things. Um, but she's being very mindful. She's keeping them kind of within the same targets. Right. Um, she's not like she understands how much she should be moderating. Um, and she's somebody who, like I said, we've been dieting for a while. So then this last week I said, Hey, um, you know, I want us to keep digging, but we need like a week. And I want you to just to be a little bit higher on your days with tracking and also, you know, feel free to have less stringencies on a few of these days. So like the holiday weekend, she was going somewhere. Um, and she was like, wow, like, I didn't really realize that I needed that. Um, like I'm really ready to dig now. Like I'm really excited. And, um, I was like, yeah, like that's why we do them. So in my mind, a diet break can look like that. Mm -hmm. Um, or a diet break can be like, Hey, you've been having 200 carbs for your refeeds. Let's do that for the next six days. We're going to drop credit. Like, right. Like the traditional diet break in the science literature and, and understanding when you're doing research, you have to be very specific with your protocols. That's the only way that you can run research. So right. Oftentimes when these protocols come out of research, um, it's like, oh, this is the only way to do them. And it, it's, a, it's a good way to do it in certain situations. But the terms like diet breaks and refeeds and all those things, um, I, you can apply them to different scenarios too. Um, so yes, I do like using them. Um, do I always use them in the exact way that they are prescribed? No. Um, and I certainly, the one thing that I really don't like, again, very science, <laughs> science community type things, uh, it always cracks me up. It's like, one paper came out and it was beneficial to do a diet break after two weeks of dieting. And then they cycled it and it was like, okay, cool. Um, did you ask your client if they liked that? If they thought that was a good idea? Um, how much time are we talking to people have? Right. Like, and it, it always becomes like this very like particular protocol based thing. And it's like, this is great. Diet breaks work. I love it. Um, in the context of, you know, who you're working with, what we're doing. I have some clients who fucking hate refeeds. Why would I give them a refeed? You know what I mean? They're like, I literally cannot stand this. <laughs> um, they're like all like, it makes me super hungry. All I'm doing is thinking about food the next two days. Like, I don't even feel better after it. Like, can we just not do these? And I'm like, sure. Like, but if I wasn't asking those questions, I was like, no, refeeds are superior because there's three and a half papers that show it. Um, you know, that wouldn't be like a good thing for coach. So straight answer is yes, I use them. I would say that I use them probably in a different way than a lot of people. Um, and they are just, again, more flexible based on what the client needs. Um, and, you know, another example, you know, people, especially in the summer travel a lot, right? Like everybody's always traveling during the summer. I have a lot of clients who, um, you know, just somebody who's been dieting and, um, you know, just lifestyle dieting, but she's just been dieting. And, um, you know, she was going on a trip for two weeks. I said, all right, you know, here's what I want you to, I want you to hit these base things um, make, make good choices for most of your meals. Um, and then, you know, 
we can kind of get back to it when, when you get back, if you want to keep pushing or want to start reversing either way. So is that a diet break? I don't know. Right. Like maybe. Right. Um, and like technically, yes. <laughs> um, so I think that it can be, it just depends on in what aspect do you mean? But yes, I do appreciate them. Um, and I do the benefits from like a metabolic and a, and a hormonal perspective and all that like are really good. Um, you just do need to make sure, well, that sounds, they're really good. That's not intelligent. Uh, <laughs> they can be beneficial. Um, but you also have to check in with the client, how that's working. Right. Okay. So it sounds like from <laughs> that, that makes sense. It sounds like from your perspective though, you're much more applying it as an adherence tool rather than, Hey, every five weeks we have to take a one week diet break or else. Yes. I have never done that um, because I always try to put it in the lens of myself as well. And I'm like, would I want that? You know what I mean? Or, and, and you know, it's, it's great to be like, all right, we have this many weeks of a prep. This is the rate of loss that we expect. This is when I'd like to add this in. Like that's all amazing, Mm -hmm. but oftentimes it doesn't work that way. And it really doesn't work that way with people who have dieted a lot before, especially how we started off the conversation with, women who have a long dieting history. It's mostly who I work with. Um, so when people are in that setting, first few weeks, if we're not really seeing a bunch of progress, why are we going to have a diet break? You know what I mean? Like it's not necessarily beneficial right now. Likewise, at the end of a cut, um, especially like, you know, like with a physique client who's like, you know, really getting down there, I might be having refeeds every few days, right? Like it, like we might've not had any for like 15 weeks and now we're doing three in a week because that's what they need based on where they're at. So I think it's just, they're all like, all of these things are amazing tools and I love them and I talk about them and I use them with clients. But I think as coaches, we have to do a better job at applying them when they're needed and being able to actually have those conversations with clients and get that feedback um, in order to figure out, okay, when is this actually necessary or useful? Oh yeah. So what I remember when like Matador diet was all the hype and I was like, fuck, I got to start doing this. And then it was one client. Hey, we're going to push hard for two weeks. We're going to take a diet break for two weeks. And I was like, okay, it's been a month and I haven't really seen very much change. Okay. Yeah. The application might not quite be there, but I love about it's an amazing study. I love that study. It was so well done. I mean, you can't get really any, better than that they gave them the food you know what i mean like i can't you can't get better than that but in practicality you know it's kind of like does that work and then you could ask two people me and you how do you like this and you can be like yes that's amazing I, that would help me stay on track mm-hmm. and then other people are like i could be like no like i don't i don't want that <laughs> right so it also right. depends on that and that's where coaching is not an algorithm it is and you know a relationship I love that. And there's so, there's so much application in this show alone with like all the different nuances. I love, we're a little bit different than actually the original like outline I had here, but I love the direction this went from both a coaching (laughs) perspective and anyone just trying to, because there is so much like black and white, like this rate of loss, which I I love, I love numbers. So I'm probably guilty of that as well. I love to be able to map out like, Hey, here's this, but very similarly, it all does really just depend on the individual. And numbers, people like that is not, it's not a knock if you want to do that. Like, that's Mm -hmm. why it, that's what coaching is so great about coaching, right? You can do things how you like. And if you're like, I'm a numbers person, I want to show them this graph. I want to show them this whole thing. And that's what like gets you excited. And that's what makes you a better coach. That's what you should do. Right. 
I'm somebody who focuses a lot more on the habits and like different ways that we're going to like look at things. And like that's totally works for me and our clients Mm -hmm. in the direction that like our team has gone. And that's great too. And then some people are like, diet's cool, but I'm all about training, right? Like, like, right. Like everybody's going to be different. So I think that it just depends on what you are going to be, you know, what you're going to excel at. Um, but also understand that you are not your client. And that's something that I had to learn many times the hard way, always trying to learn and always trying to learn how to actually detach when, you know, I could have three clients in front of me and they all have very different personalities. They have all different ways of communicating. They all have different ways of, you know, I might think, well, I've never done that. Like, why the fuck would you even think about doing that? That sounds fucking insane. You know what I mean? Like, why would you even think that thought? And then there could be things that I've thought or done and people be like, why would, why would that even, right? So you have to say, okay, this is not about me. This is about the client. And you have to also have the intuition, which can be developed, I believe, to ask those types of questions, right? When somebody is not, they're not fitting, they're not hitting the plan, right? Something's, something's wrong. It's not enough to be like, well, this is the right plan and this is going to be the best thing for you. Why aren't you doing it? And it's really, really hard. That sounds like, oh, I would never say that. We all say that because we've developed a plan. We've done, you know, the research and all this stuff. And we think, okay, well, this person, like, this is the best plan for them. Like, why aren't they doing this? Right. And then when you really ask the, the client, what are they struggling with? Why aren't they able to do this? You realize, oh, well, they're struggling with things that I didn't even think about because I've never even been in that situation or I've never found myself in the situation, but it doesn't mean that it's not a relevant situation, right? Mm-hmm. So I need to address whatever is relevant to this client, even though I've never experienced this, even though I've never been through this. I mean, of course, within your scope of practice. Let's just outline that. But um, for example, a lot of people really, really, really struggle with being like obsessed with my fitness pal or whatever tracking app, right. right? I've never used a tracking app. I tracked for many years. I always either just looked stuff up or I wrote it down. That's how I do things. I operate like not in the 21st century. I have a paper planner. Like I was getting made fun of, like I was trying to get on this group call with um, some people from first form and they're like, Hey, who can get together? And I'm like, I'll check my planner in a few hours when I get back. They're like, what? Like you have it on your phone. I'm like, no, I don't. Like I like, I am that person. So when people are like, I have to zero out the numbers. I like, I just keep picking it up and I'm looking at it and I do this. And I'm like, what? Like I, I haven't even thought of that as being a struggle because that is not a struggle for me because I was never doing that. Right. right. Or, or the struggle of being used to just scanning or looking something up and not really paying attention to what you're eating and paying attention to meals. Just, oh, I'll just eat and I'll add it up and then I'll see what I have later. And then you have like fucking five carbs and 37 protein. You're like, what the fuck am I going to eat? Right. That's all avoided if we're not doing that. So, but if I didn't ask those questions, I just, why are you hitting the plan? Well, you're not hitting the plan because you're not really observing what you're eating and the way that you're structuring your meals and the meal timing and all this stuff. Why don't we work on that? And let's see if that helps. So I think as coaches, you just really have to kind of take a step back and understand that your struggles may relate to your clients, but also your clients could be going through different things and whatever your preferred, like you love numbers. Well, maybe you have clients who are coming to you who are a little bit less numbers based, right? doesn't mean that you can't ever share numbers or focus on numbers, but there could be other things that they are focusing on that they need to, that they want you to focus on and that you can capitalize on that. So I love it. So good. Super super interesting thing from um, the podcast that I've seen is all the coaches, like you built such a successful coaching company. Now, when people think of Lauren Conlon, they think of science, right? But 
and I don't want to like make assumptions, but it seems very much like you have, I don't, and I don't know if this is just how you are, if you spend a lot of time working on it, but you have a very good emotional intelligence, right? You're, it seems like you're very good at like understanding where people are at and meeting them there. And that's like kind of the, all the coaches that seem to have built these huge, very successful coaching companies have like that same thing. It's not like, wow, this is the most science smart person I've ever met. That seems to be kind of the common factor. Yeah. Well, thank you. I really appreciate that. It's something that I've really tried to work on. Um, I've become very interested in that whole aspect Um, after being so science-based for so many years, right? Like being in school for six years Mm -hmm. um, with that kind of one lens. And then um, I think really what, what the switch was, was I started working with more people. And I started realizing that, you know, when you work with a small subset of people, um, you know, you're going to see one type of result. But then when you start to expand your message and your reach, you're going to get clients who have all different backgrounds and they have all different, like, you know, struggles and things that they're good at and things that they're not good at. So I had to realize, all right, if I'm going to communicate with my clients effectively, I need to actually learn how to communicate effectively Um, and I need to learn and I still don't get it right you know there's sometimes and that is the one drawback of this I'm pointing to my screen if you guys are watching um, that is the one drawback of being online Um, and I'm a huge extrovert I love being around people so it's always like again don't live in the 21st century and I probably shouldn't run an online (laughs) business but here we are um and it's you know there's different ways to get around it you know what i mean and there's you know obviously there's phone calls there's zoom calls there's loom which is like a video messaging thing and whatever and there's different ways to get your point across but there have definitely been times where somebody has said something and i've misread it or they've misread what i've said and and, you know kind of go back and forth in this like misunderstanding wavelength till finally it's like okay we need to just figure this out right or that could have not even happened in an in-person perspective right right but obviously it 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 allows you know our team and your team to work with people who are not just in our remote area so it's it's amazing so there is definitely drawbacks so so you have to especially in an online setting understand how to communicate understand you know people say stuff sometimes and you'll just be like you know you could be in a bad mood you could read it wrong and this can be people like some people just also don't type in the way that like you type right like there's some people who are very aggressive typers and you're like do you fucking hate me <laughs> and then you'll get on the phone with them and they like they're great you know and oh, people, yeah. like right like you're like are we good but like it's totally it's just how they talk right. people text them too you're like are you mad at me but they're like they're not it's just yeah. how they're texting um in any case so sometimes you can just misread things um and as a coach you have to understand all right if like if something bothers you right okay what do they mean by that where were they really coming from how do we need to communicate this and it doesn't mean you get trampled all over like i'm all about like hey you know you, you have to obviously stand up for yourself if somebody is like harassing you as a client and like that can happen you know what i mean right. um this isn't just about you know taking that but most of the time i'd say 99 percent of the time it's a misunderstanding or miscommunication and that that just needs to be resolved and doing that in the fastest way possible. So there's less miscommunications along the way is really important because otherwise you're just going to lose clients and they're not going to get the help that they need, which is really the most important thing. I love it. Again, this is all so applicable. I want to be respectful of your time. So I'm going to go ahead and let you go. But before I do so, we just tell everyone where they can find you and anything at all you have going on you'd like to plug. 
Yeah, so first I can send you the link if you want to link the paper. Um, so I'm so, so excited about that and it is open access so everybody can read the full paper. Um, so that'll be in the show notes, I'm presuming. And then also where we put most of our content is called Team Local Fit Roundtable. It's our um, weekly podcast, actually we put out two weeks. So it's myself and the other coaches. We also have a therapist who comes um, on as well every month and we occasionally have guests. So that's where we put most of our stuff. Our website is teamlocofit.com and everything's on there articles podcasts social media everything you could want so that's all for me and i'd love to come on for part two i know we did we kind of deviated from the schedule so (laughs) which is totally typical of me so um we can definitely do a part two to answer the other questions you had (laughs) i would love that we'll plan on that i will we'll chat about that a bit off air because i love this conversation and again i appreciate you coming on Yes. Thank you for having me on. I love doing podcasts. So thank you guys. And I hope you got a lot out of this as well. Absolutely.